Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, we're going to get into the word this morning. I felt like um, the Lord spoke to me several weeks ago when Pastor asked if I would share this morning on what I was supposed to share about. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, and we're going to start in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, and let me just say 10,000 talents would be equal to 187,000 years of labor. So that's one, eight, seven, and three zeros. That's a lot. So the man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which that's the equivalent of about four months of labor. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged, fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tormented until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a a lamp to our feet to show us where we are, but it's a light to our path to show us where we need to go. And so, Lord, this morning as I share, I just ask, Lord, that you would help me to articulate what you've put in my heart. Lord, I just pray that hearts are open to receive and that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. (laughs) And this is kind of a heavy passage, but I want to take it and just simplify it to draw out the points that I want to be sure that we're going to look at this morning. So what we have here is we have a parable that is, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And the king or the master would be our heavenly father, would be God. And we, the servant, have come and we have a debt we cannot repay it's so great. We, there is no way we could pay the debt that is owed for our sins. So Jesus paid that debt for us, so we are forgiven. 
But then we are called to go and extend that same grace and mercy to those around us that sin against us or that um, just hurt, bring hurts upon us. And we are to forgive them from our hearts. And just to drive that point home a little more, we're going to flip over real quick to Matthew 6. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That's pretty heavy. Because a lot of us have been hurt. A lot of us have had someone sin against us or wrong us in many ways. And so I want us, before we talk too much on forgiveness, I want to address a few things that many times hinder us from being able to enter into forgiveness towards another person. Hosea tells us that we perish for a lack of knowledge. And so if I don't give you these tools, we just kind of can fumble around trying to figure out why do I still feel this way? So one of the main things we come up against when we're struggling with forgiveness is unresolved anger. And anger is interesting to me how we don't like to talk about anger in the church always, but yet it's very clear in Ephesians 4, it says, be angry and don't sin. He doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry. Anger is a very, very powerful emotion, and it does not go away unless it's addressed. And when we are angry about something and we try to just minimize it or try and continually look beyond it, it's like that beach ball that we're trying to hold underwater. It's exhausting. So we have to address anger. And you might say, well, how do I do that? Well, so some of you know, probably most of you know, that I have a ministry um, called Restored by Grace, and I minister to women and men who have a story of abortion in their past. And anger is something that we come up against a lot. And some of their anger is a very righteous anger. They were lied to. They were deceived into making the decision. Some were pressured by parents or a boyfriend to make that decision. And there is a lot of anger that we have to work through. It doesn't, it's sometimes, if we just up too fast to say, I forgive, without really addressing this emotion of anger that's a God-given emotion, we really find ourselves, it's this ping-pong thing. We keep going back to, why am I so, still feeling so angry about this? So we have to address the anger. So here's a couple of ways that um, I talk to the women and men about addressing anger. One of them is a technique that they do all the time in Ultimate Journey. It's letter writing. It is, you can sit down and write a letter that you never plan to give that person. You get that? You write a letter you never plan to give the person. It's a very, very important piece. <laughs> but that letter might start out something like, Dear so-and-so, you may have no idea how much you've hurt me. You may have no idea how much when you did this, caused harm to my family or to me, and this is how you made me feel. And you just begin to write out all of the feelings that you're holding in. Sometimes there are emotions and feelings that you have refused to let yourself feel, but you just write that letter out. But then at the end of that letter, it's important to say, I do not want you to have control over me in this area anymore, and so I am choosing to forgive you. It's very powerful. 
A lot of times it brings tears, but you're getting in touch with that emotion, and that's what you need to do. Another thing that they use in counseling settings is called the empty chair technique. And this is, um, I've actually done this. And you just sit in a chair, and you have an empty chair across from you, and you imagine that that person that you need to forgive, that you're angry at, is in that chair. And you just begin to say out loud to, to the empty chair or to that invisible person, The same thing you would have said in that letter. I need you to know how much you hurt me. And I know from my own experience, when I did that, I wasn't too far into just saying what I knew I needed to just get out of my heart and out of my mind. And the tears came and, oh my goodness, it was like this load was just lifted. Anger doesn't go away unless it is addressed. I have a quick story of a gal that um, I worked with, and she was um, she'd had an abortion and was unable to have any more children. And there was a lot, a lot of hurt, a lot of anger. And um, we there's a technique we use. I'm not going to explain, but if you're still struggling with anger after either these other two things, come to me and we'll talk through some things. But she got in touch with some anger, and you felt it snap in the room. It was a very powerful thing, and she just began to sob. We, we have to address anger, but we have to address it in healthy ways. And if we don't, what happens is it manifests in all these other things. If we has, have this unresolved anger, all of a sudden we're trying to parent our child and we can't figure out why we're so irritated and frustrated and rage is coming on. And it's because this anger over here will show up in all these other areas. And I want you to know we're available here at the church if you just need someone to walk through that with you. Also, Ultimate Journey is an amazing avenue in which to deal with some of that stuff. That's my plug for Ultimate Journey coming up. The other thing that sometimes gets us stuck as we're trying to forgive is we enter into bitter judgments. And this is kind of a, this can be a really dangerous thing. I want to read a couple passages. First, in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Eek. And I'm not standing up here, hear me, I am not standing up here saying that I have all of this perfect in my life. As a matter of fact, as I began to prepare for this, the Lord highlighted some things in my life that I needed to forgive from my heart, that I needed to repent of. So I'm just, I'm just sharing with you what the Lord has shown me. Because we don't want anyone to miss the grace of God, Right? So if we want justice for the wrong that's been done against us, we have to understand that that same measuring tool will be used against us. God's justice system is so much different than ours. He says that mercy is better than justice. He's still a just God. But mercy triumphs. In Luke 6, 37, 38, I'm going to swing there real quick. 
Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured onto your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So lots of times we use this passage when we talk about tithe, but it's all tied together. The, the whole principle of reaping what we sow. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, A man reaps what he sows. And so it is with judgment, bitter judgments. So if you would plant a seed of corn, one seed, how many seeds of corn do you reap? Hundreds? A lot. It's a principle in the kingdom of sowing and reaping. And I want to use a couple of stories. Um, there is an amazing little book. It's actually out of print. Um, you can find it occasionally on eBay and um, actually maybe on Amazon. It's by John and Carol Arnott, who were the pastors up at the Toronto church that we've been up to in the past for services. And it's called The Importance of Forgiveness. And in there, Carol shares some stories that I think really illustrate well what happens with these bitter judgments. And she talked about how um, her mom uh, abused her as a little girl. And she recognized that it was her mom did not receive what her mom needed as a little girl herself. But Carol's mom beat her as a little girl. She said she was black and blue many times. And she said from her heart she hated her mother. She resented her. And then as she got older and she got saved, she knew she had to forgive her mother. And so she did. But she said that she kept having these controlling, manipulating women coming into her life and controlling her. And um, she said, I just, I couldn't figure out why or why. And she said, as she asked the Lord about it, the Lord revealed to her how she had judged her mother. Her mother was controlling, manipulative, abusive. So in judging her mother, this one person, she ended up reaping judgments from many, many being controlled, manipulated, all of those things. So then as time went on, they were pastoring the church there in Toronto, and people would come, she said, and they would just, you know, kind of let her know how they felt about things. They would just dump things on her. And she'd go and she'd tell her husband, John, and she said it was like he couldn't hear me. She said she couldn't figure out why isn't he hearing anything I'm saying. So she went to the Lord about it, and he said, it's because of your father. And she said, my father, I love my father. He was a good man. And he said, no, you judged your father because he didn't protect you from your mother. So what happened was her judging her father for his lack of protecting her. What happened is she was reaping then. Her husband was unable to protect her. So she dealt with it in her heart, repented of judging, forgave her father, And the next time it happened, she went to John and she told him, and he says, well, let's take care of that. And he brought the person in and handled the situation, and that was it. Our words are powerful. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 actually talks about how um, our bitter judgments and those things can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we judge others, it actually can stop the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives.
we need to learn to pray for those that we need to forgive. This is the third thing. So there was anger, there's the bitter judgments, and then praying for, for people that have hurt us. You know what? When I, I'm just going to be honest, it's not always easy. When someone's hurt you um, and you, it's, you feel like you can't get beyond it, one of the things I have to do is I have to begin to invest my prayers in that person. And when I do that, my heart will catch up. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, I thank you for them in my life. Lord, bless their family. Bless their finances. Investing your prayers in that person that hurt you is going to help your heart to catch up. I think when we think so many times about forgiveness, we think about the amazing forgiveness that God extends us. 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Isn't that amazing? All we have to do is repent and he forgives. Why isn't it that easy for us amongst each other? And I'm not saying I've got that figured out. I get hurt too. I have to deal with my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, all of those things. But in forgiving others, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. And I know we've heard that many times, but so many times we, we think we should feel better about the situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean we forget what happened to us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what someone else did to us was even right. But it does help us to stand before a holy God and be holy. I, I read a book years ago, years ago by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. And I remember him talking, and I actually dug the book back out to try and find this, to revisit it, and I couldn't find it. So, but I'm pretty sure it was R.T. Kendall's book on forgiveness, Total Forgiveness. If you have the book, read it and let me know where it's at in the book. But he talked about three different levels of forgiveness. Um, and I just want to touch on those real briefly because I think sometimes we look at how does this relationship supposed to look when someone has wronged me and I need to forgive them. And there is what we call, he calls in the book, detached forgiveness. And I have a, a perfect example of that. As I worked with women, a lot of women, their, um, the father of the child they aborted was someone they had a relationship with potentially many, many years earlier. Well, they still have to forgive that person but it doesn't mean that that relationship is reconciled. It's kind of a detached forgiveness. So, a matter of fact, I encourage them, it's not healthy to reach out to these people. You can forgive someone from your heart without ever talking to them. And in many cases, we don't, people don't even realize that they have hurt us. I tell you what, I'll be honest. There are Sundays, some Sundays I get home and I think, oh, I talked to so-and-so, but... Did I just walk away from that conversation or did we end that conversation? Oh, I hope I didn't offend them. You know, it's really easy. We all live busy lives. We all have, you know, maybe you're wrestling children, whatever it might be. It's easy for you're talking with someone and feel like, well, what happened? What happened there? I'm sorry if I've done that to you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I receive that. But forgiveness doesn't always mean, in the, 
in the form of a detached forgiveness that there's a reconciliation restored. And then there's a limited forgiveness. And a limited forgiveness, um, you've forgiven, but maybe there has to be some boundaries in the relationship. Um, an example that I'm going to use on that was many, many years ago, um, I had two different people come to me and say, hey, did you do something to offend so-and-so? Because they said this, and, I, and the two people, they were the exact same, saying the same thing. And I'm thinking, I have no idea, but we need to make that right. And so I scheduled to sit down with this person and have somebody else kind of just sit down as a mediator, I guess, for lack of a better word. And um, I had done something to hurt this person. And so I had to, I had to apologize and ask for forgiveness. But as I asked about what they had said about me, there was refusal to admit that they had said that. And so it was one of those things, I still had to forgive them, even though they wouldn't take responsibility for their part, because they had said some rather slanderous things. And um, But so that relationship, I just knew I had to be cautious. It doesn't mean I, I am off the hook of caring for them, loving them, being kind to them. But it wasn't like we were going to go on vacation together the next week. <laughs> so there's just you, sometimes, and you know what? There's been abusive relationships in your past that you know you have to have boundaries in. You still have to forgive that person, but and you can have healthy boundaries and do that. And then there is full forgiveness. And this is what God always wants, especially here in the body of Christ. We, we don't have, we don't, there's not time for offenses. And it's, sometimes those conversations aren't easy, but we've talked a lot about relationships over the years here at Heartland and the importance of healthy relationships. And sometimes having those, those conversations that kind of feel like a conflict are necessary to move forward. And a couple things that um, I just want to share about how those conversations, some things, some little I don't know, my two cents worth, I suppose, on some of those conversations is if someone comes to you and you've hurt them, we have to respond. You may not realize it, but we have to respond graciously and kindly. One thing, when someone responds, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, they're probably projecting it back onto you. If someone comes to you and says, you know, it really hurt me when you did this, maybe a good response is, I had no idea. And that was not my intention. And I am so sorry. That's not always easy because our flesh wants to just become defensive sometimes. That's not what I did. That's not what I said. You took it the wrong way. But it's so important as a body of Christ that we work hard at those relationships and we extend grace and mercy and just communicate. Even in our marriages, you know, if your husband is acting off one day, don't just act off back at him. Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Don't take offense. Sometimes there's, you know, people go through things in life. And if you see a brother or sister that's maybe acting a little bit off, it's okay to say, are you okay? If you need to talk, let me know. Sometimes I think we just think, what's their problem? Man, let's, let's reach out. Let's be kind and loving to one another. All right. The hardest area of forgiveness, really, is forgiving self. And Pastor Dave touched on this last week, and I think he's going to revisit it in a couple weeks. 
But I know for me, when I began to deal with the issue of my abortion as a teenager, the hardest person to forgive was myself. I always felt I should have known better. I had violated my own moral code. And I felt like for years, I was, the only finger I was pointing at anybody, I was pointing at me. And I came to the realization that who am I to say I'm not forgiven if God says I'm forgiven? Who are we to think that that blood wasn't enough? One day, I was reading in Matthew, and I had a light bulb moment. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't love myself, it's not very easy to love my neighbor. Matter of fact, if I hate myself or if I'm judging myself, that's what I'm going to do to my neighbors. It isn't total and full forgiveness if we can't forgive ourselves. As a matter of fact, forgiveness has little value to us emotionally if we can't forgive ourselves. If we can't receive that our Savior died for the forgiveness of our sins and so that we could forgive ourselves, He doesn't want us living under our own self-condemnation either, and we have to let ourselves off the hook I can tell you, when I got that to that point, oh my goodness, it was like I must have been carrying weight on my shoulders. It was like the load was lighter. It's an, it's an amazing thing. The freedom that he purchased for us to be free of all of that, the price he paid. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know how to explain and put words, and I think that's what I'm struggling with here. I don't know how to put words to the value that that is in our lives, emotionally, mentally, even physically. Do you know when you carry unforgiveness, it affects you much more than it does the other person? a matter of fact, many times people that have bitterness and have unforgiveness, it begins to it actually becomes be visible on them. And we, as the body of Christ, I love that I get to help others see themselves the way God sees them. The story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 25, I love. Here, and I'll just, I'm going to kind of do this with a wide paintbrush here. But Joseph has this dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and he tells them. And, of course, they become very jealous and envious, which... It's not always sin against us. Sometimes it's jealousy and envy that we get bitter judgments too, by the way. But his brothers sell him off to slavery in Egypt. And Joseph goes there and he is a servant in a house. And then he's wrongly accused and ends up in prison. And I have to wonder what happened to Joseph those years in prison. He's eventually, because of the gift of interpreting dreams that God has given him, he's eventually brought into the palace and is made second in command because he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Well, the famine comes and his brothers have to come into Egypt for food. And Joseph's the person they have to go before. 
And what an amazing thing that Joseph, after all he had gone through and suffered, he didn't want to heap condemnation on his brothers. He obviously had forgiven them. He wanted everyone to leave the room when he revealed himself to his brothers because he didn't want other people to know what had happened to him, what had been done to him. That's another thing. When someone offends us, how many people do we feel we have to tell? Joseph was very cautious to get everybody out of the room. And when he told his brothers who he was, he said no. They, they felt horrible, but he let them know, no, this was for good. Good came from this. He wanted his brothers to be able to forgive himself. I have a lady that I've worked with in the past, and she has a very, very um, broken story. She came from an abusive home, got involved with drugs, and she went through my class, and I just I got a real soft spot for her. And she reached out to me several years later, and she had lost her son. He had died, and she was really struggling, and we prayed. And she called me back a few weeks later, and she said, Laura, I just need to tell you something. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, I was really, really struggling. And I called one of my old drug dealers, and I got some drugs. And I said, wow. I said, have you repented to the Lord for this? And she said, yeah, I have, yeah, I have, but I just feel so awful. I said, well, that's not who you are. The enemy would like to pull you back and make you feel like you're less than who you are. You messed up, but God's forgiven you, and I'm not holding it against you. We get to restore people. When people come to us and confess that they messed up, we get the privilege of helping restore them. It's a beautiful thing. It is an amazing thing. We get to extend God's grace and love. Oh, I love that's that's my that's my most favorite part. We get to be the voice of the comforter instead of a voice, the voice of the accuser. All right. Um, I want to read something here that I came across a few years back. And I don't know how many of you know the name Rich Oliver. He used to be um, the credentialing person with Bethel out in California. And he wrote something that I thought so well articulates um, what forgiveness does for us when we forgive. He said, the wisdom Jesus offers us is that when we let go of hurts, there's something better that can fill the void, something that is life-giving and sustaining. It is what sustained Jesus when people he loved turned away, when those he trusted betrayed him, when he hung on the cross alone. And that thing is that fills that void. It's God's healing, unconditional, overflowing love for each of us. I just love that. When we give that place in our heart, that hurt, that offense to the Lord and lay it down and forgive we get to fill that place in our heart with the Lord's unconditional love for us. It's an amazing, beautiful thing. The other thing about forgiveness is the supernatural aspect to it. I don't think forgiveness is something that I would say is easy for anybody. There's always, there's, in all of our stories, there's something that happened at one point that that was just hard to get through. 
But when we look at Jesus and how he hung on the cross, and he didn't say, I forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. He was so far beyond forgiving them himself that he was asking God to forgive them. That's not a, that's not a natural thing. We, when we forgive, we get to partner with the Holy Spirit. And we have to ask him to help us many times. But we enter into a supernatural thing. I want to share a testimony of the supernatural results of forgiveness. And it's a little lengthy, and I've cut it probably in half. But I want to, I'm going to read most of it to you. And this is actually, um, I think in the bookstore we have Leanne Goff's book, Breaking the Veil of Silence, and this testimony is in there. And so let me give you a little background. Um, I've been able to go into Brazil and Cuba and talk um, to women that have had abortions. I've also been able to go into those countries as well as locally here to crisis pregnancy centers or pregnancy resource centers and talk about how do you minister to a woman when she's had an abortion. So in 2013, Leanne had asked me to go with her into to Cuba. It was March and to just share my testimony at her Breaking the Veil of Silence conference. And there was one of the leaders there that Leanne brought to me, and she said, would you pray with her? Leanne knew she had had an abortion. So um, I reached out to take her hand, and she yanked her hands back, and she shook her head at me, and she walked off. And Leanne looks at me, and she goes, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and because she was one of Leanne's leaders, and so we, were, we didn't know what had happened. And the next morning, the gal came up to me, and I'm going to tell you this. She was about a foot taller than me, and she was a very strong Cuban woman. And she came up to me, and she said, I'm sorry. And I said, well, can I pray with you? And she says, no. And she left. So about nine months later, I went back into Cuba with Leanne, and she had me doing, at that time, it would take two days because of translation to get through the material as far as ministering to a woman who's had an abortion. Well, this gal shows up, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know, I don't know what's, what this is all about. But um, So at the end of the first day, she told my translator, I want to share a testimony tomorrow. So we're like, okay. So I'm going to share with you kind of how we got to that point. Um, what, and this is some of what she shared really the next morning when she shared her testimony. She said, when I was 18 years old, I found myself pregnant by my boyfriend, who is now my husband. Logically, I determined I should have an abortion. Why not? A baby would interrupt my studies at the university. I recall my mother telling me not to have the abortion, which her mother, she shared, had had abortions, and they were more like hero stories. And in Cuba, um, abortions, the preferred form of birth control. And that really comes from the time that Cuba was under the influence of Russia. Her boyfriend said, we should have the baby. We're getting married soon. But I'd already made my decision and I had the abortion. Four months after the abortion, we were married. And then six months into the marriage, she discovered she was pregnant again. 
And she said she tried to hide her pregnancy. She, she didn't want to have a baby yet. She said, when I was 16 weeks pregnant, I went to see my mom. While I was there, I complained about the economic situation in Cuba. And she looked at me and said, you're pregnant. That's your problem. She said, I didn't respond. I just felt very alone. She said, I went home and began to cry. I was very angry. And I realized this is maybe a little graphic. Um, she said, I began punching my stomach as hard as I could. I beat myself with my fists and my head, face, and arms, wanting to kill the baby growing inside of me. See, my fist didn't cause what I wanted. I threw myself against the wall, against the counter in the kitchen, against the, everything I could. I became dizzy, and I passed out. When I came to, I was sore, and I was scared. Basically, within three days, she lost the baby. And everybody thought that she just had a miscarriage. She said, and people were blaming her husband, people, you know, and she just didn't say anything. She let everybody else take the blame but herself. But she blamed herself. She says, six months later, I found myself pregnant again. Everyone treated me very gently. My husband gave me all kinds of attention. I knew he was afraid that I might lose this baby too. I was miserable, full of shame, and guilty. I was five months pregnant and I developed high blood pressure. She had her baby, and it was a little girl who's a beautiful woman today in Cuba. Um, she leads worship. And, but it's at um, four months old, the baby stopped eating, and so she began to blame herself. I'm a bad mom. This is, even though she didn't know God at this time, she, blamed, she felt like it was punishment for her abortions. And it's... Um, her husband wanted another child. I'm sorry, I'm trying to skip through some of this. Her husband wanted another child, and so she agreed, and they had another little boy. But he was born, and at six months, they realized that his, um, his skull had not closed properly, and he had to have an operation. So again, she blamed herself, felt it was all her fault, and um, it was punishment for the abortions. So over the next few years, she had three more abortions. That's five. In May of 2005, her entire family came to Christ. Her husband, her children, um, everybody. And it was a great time. And then in 2006, she became pregnant again, one year later. And she said, we were overwhelmed with happiness. She felt like the Lord was giving her another chance um, because of all the children she had lost. And then, when he was two years old their youngest, she was preparing for a tubal ligation, and they discovered she was pregnant again. And she's a Christian at this time, but she didn't know how they could make it work, and so she secretly had an abortion again. And after that one, without realizing it, she began to pull away from people, um, just um, pull out of the church, even though they were leading, they were leaders in the church, they had home groups and everything else. She said her husband and her began to not talk. There was stress in the relationship, and um, just it wasn't a happy home. She, um, she became pregnant again and had the baby, but this baby had a lot of problems. He, um, he would sit and just rock all day long, and they would play music, and if there wasn't music playing, he would beat his head against the wall. So he was about 15 months old. He wasn't talking, walking, doing anything. And she came to this conference that I was speaking at. And 
um, she didn't like me. <laughs> she said, the second day of the conference presented Laura, a delicate, calm-speaking woman. And she, the, when she shared this with the group that time in Cuba, she said, I looked at Laura and I thought, she's small enough, I could break her. <laughs> But she said, as I began to speak and I talked about abortion, she had to find ways to not listen. She said, as Laura told her story, I felt worse and worse. Suddenly, a sister in my, in my church approached me and hugged me and tried to tell me that I was a good mom. And I told her, you don't know who I am. She said, Laura shared from love, and her delicate words began breaking me down. Inside, I was screaming, why is this happening to me? Why doesn't she shut up? I'm getting there, folks. (laughs) She said, I felt pain throughout my entire body, and I felt like everyone was looking at me. Actually, every woman in the room was shaken because her words applied anointment to the wounded areas of the vast majority of Cuban women. Because like I said, abortion is very, very widespread there. But I felt like the worst of all the women and deserved to bear a hopeless life because of what I had done. So she went home. She said she cried all the way home. She told her husband, and he didn't understand why she felt so bad, and she said things just got worse. She said she quit fixing her hair. She quit. They they like to do their nails really fancy in Cuba. She quit doing her nails. She didn't even have a cycle. She was so frustrated. She said her husband would only come home to basically sleep and change his clothes. She said that one night she got on her knees and she cried out, Lord, help me. She said, immediately I began to remember the conference, and I could hear Laura saying, we need to forgive and ask forgiveness. So she went in. She woke up her husband. It was 2 in the morning. She said, I began asking forgiveness for all the suffering I had caused. I spoke of my anger toward him and my reason for it. He began to mourn for the first time and told me how he really felt about each of my abortions, which for many years, I thought he didn't care. I then learned that his pain was as immense, as immense as mine. I felt so guilty because I had accused him of being a bad father and a bad husband and unable to care for our, father, our family. We embraced each other for a long time as we cried, asking for forgiveness. And the next morning, their youngest child walks out of the room and he says, Mom, Dad, This child has never spoken. He only sat and rocked back and forth. He began to call his brothers and sisters by name. In the following days, we witnessed a totally healthy child with a development of the child's corresponding to his age. There is amazing power in forgiveness. I think we all want that. I'm going to ask if everyone will just for a moment will just close your eyes and bow your head, please. One of the things I realized after my abortion was that I was very mad at the church. I remember going to the clinic, and there was protesters. And I judged them that they were the church and that they were there to judge me. I've had to repent of that. I've also had to forgive the church. 
But I know many times we are hurt by the church. And I'm standing here today as representative of Heartland, but also the greater church body. And if you have been hurt by the church, I just want to ask you to forgive. We are not perfect. Leadership is not perfect. But I just want you to take a moment in your heart and forgive. And maybe there's some other things you just need the Lord to bring to your memory. Maybe some people that you need to forgive. Or maybe it's some judgments, bitter judgments you've made against another just want to give that a minute. I'm going to close in prayer in a minute. But if you need to spend some time either sitting where you are or coming to the altar, I want you to know that you are free to do that. I'm going to have the sound booth put some music on. Because we don't want to leave here today and, and not have dealt with the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you above all for your grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Lord, help us to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit in areas where we need to forgive, maybe areas that we need to repent. I thank you, Lord, that you are a gentle Father that... There is no condemnation that you delight in restoration. So, Lord, I just ask that as we leave here today, Lord, that even throughout the week, that we would just um, be sensitive, sensitive to your leaning, sensitive to the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit with the words that come out of our mouth. be with Pastor Dave and Christopher as they wrap things up in Burlington and as they travel home. And thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.